Well, I am very tickled to see all y'all here today. This is usually a kind of what they call it a low attendance Sunday, but there's a good crowd here. Although there's a few little spots missing. I, a preacher friend of mine refers to a crowd like this as a comfortable crowd. He says that's when there's room for everybody to lie down that wants to. <clears throat> so uh, if y'all want to lie down, be comfortable. <laughs> but it is good that we uh, can be together this day and glad that you're here. Uh, to be a part of worship. Um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, all children are reminded that it's a special night for our Sunday night programs. We will meet tonight at the regular time. That's choir from 5.30 to 6.15. And then uh, our end of spring semester mission kids party will be from 6.15 until 7 o'clock. Please plan to be here. It's going to be a fun night, and we're going to do a special project. Uh, the children had a great time on a nature scavenger hunt and enjoyed the nice weather on Wednesday at the Wednesday night supper this past week. Please mark your calendars now to plan to join us for our next monthly dinner. The last one before the fall will be on the uh, first Wednesday night of May. May the 5th, so uh, make those plans now. Also, I noticed regarding children today, the um, children will be going with, uh, are invited to go with Beverly Davis at the start of the second hymn this morning for the monthly visit up to our library. And so that will be taking place soon. Um, two weeks from today is our uh, His Weekend um, tickets are available for purchase after the service today uh, for the Jason Crab concert. That's the only part of the weekend that has a, a charge to it. But uh, it should be a wonderful weekend, and we're going to hear more about that um, at this time from Eric Jeter, I think. Right? Oh, there he is. I saw Katie back there, and I thought, uh-oh. But, uh, yes, uh, Eric Jeter will come now to share some words with us. Good morning. I know many of us have had personal experiences with cancer. The one by far that has impacted my life the most was watching my dad fight this ferocious disease. My dad was a dad that didn't have to be. He took me and my mom in when I was four. He never treated me anything less than his own son. He brought me up with tough love, strict guidance, and a rope long enough to pull me back in. Katie is now the proud owner of that rope. <laughs> Not long after I moved to Greenville, I met Katie and was engaged. In that time, we, be we also became new homeowners. Unfortunately, after thinking life couldn't get any better, my parents came up for a weekend stay at our new home. And over a morning cup of coffee, my mom and dad broke the devastating news to me and my younger brother that dad had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and was given three to six months to live. We cried and cried, but not Dad. He joked about it and never wept a tear, only told us that he would fight until the very end and do everything he could to beat it. But if he didn't, it had been a good ride, and he loved the life he lived and the family he has built. I watched my dad go through, go through very aggressive chemo and radiation treatments for several months. My mom told me as painful as the treatments could be, Dad said that if it gave him another day to see his boys grow, he would do it. He was so strong and rarely ever showed pain. My dad always had a lot of pride and did not accept defeat very well. He was a man's man and worked up until a week before he died. Fortunately for Katie and I, he fought hard enough to stand beside me as my best man in our wedding. From the radiation treatments, his throat had been burned so severely he was suffering from a horrible cough. The Lord blessed us all that day when he helped Dad through the entire ceremony without a coughing spell. Unfortunately, my dad ran out of time on Thanksgiving Day of 2007. I am thankful that my dad's fight is behind him, but luckily there are several ways that we can continue this fight. A few that have impacted me personally are offering Bible verses that give hope and comfort. Being a part of a Tuesday morning prayer group 
that provides inspiration through prayer cards. Always being a supportive and loving church family. Helping a young man make sure his father dying of cancer has accepted Christ. Tell friends and family stories you have heard of God's miracles. You can also start by coming to this wonderful Relay for Life fundraiser called His Weekend. Hope, inspiration, salvation. Those three words sum up the lessons I learned through my dad's fight with cancer. Today would have been my dad's 51st birthday. It was always hard to buy gifts for him, but by showing your support of His Weekend, we can give him the greatest gift he could have ever received. Happy birthday, Dad. I know that the American Cancer Society touches a lot of lives through Relay for Life, and this is our opportunity as a church and as a community to join that fight. I will be there for my dad, and I hope you will be there with me. Thank you. <clears throat> Two weeks from today, our service will be at a different time. Do you know what time that is? Ten. Yes, we'll be here at 10 o'clock, be a joint service on the last Sunday of April at 10 o'clock. Looking forward to you seeing and meeting and hearing my friend, uh, Dr. James Nates. Jim will be with us, uh, and um, you will want to hear this good man's uh, sermon. He's had a profound imp impact upon my life, and um, so I feel in a way I'm giving you a gift um, if, if you will be here to receive it as you hear uh, what he will have to say that day. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
<clears throat> this morning we're going to have an interactive spoken call to worship. I'm going to say, the Lord is risen, and you're going to respond, the Lord is risen indeed. I think we can do that, okay? The Lord is risen. of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into and this time we'd like to invite the children to come down by the side aisles to get up here to the front and uh, join uh, Tommy Stanton, I believe it is, for a few moments of sharing. But I'm glad to get this chance to be with you today. That is nice. 
There is a story that I will read a little bit later from John's Gospel, chapter 20, that tells about something that happened to all the friends of Jesus, the disciples on the first Easter. They were scared and they were in hiding. Have you ever been scared? You ever go to your room and shut the door and jump under the covers or go under the bed or something? Well, these guys, they were scared um, because their friend Jesus had just been killed on a cross. And somebody was telling them that they'd seen him alive, but they didn't know what to believe. Well, while they were hiding in their secret place, um, suddenly Jesus came into the room. He just showed up. He came in through a door uh, without opening the door, which I think must have been something to see. And he said, uh, peace I give you. Well, there was one disciple who was missing from that group that night. You know his name? You know his name too? Thomas, right. I don't have any idea where Thomas was. Uh, maybe he was so sad he had gone somewhere to be alone. Um, he really needed to be with his friends, just like we all need to be together in church. But he wasn't there. And so he missed something really special. He missed getting to be with Jesus on that first Easter. And when he came back, they all said, Thomas, you missed it. You should have been here. Oh, we had a great time. Jesus just came and, and talked with us. Thomas said, don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it myself. Well, Thomas spent the next week with his friends, afraid to leave them because he didn't want to miss something else. He was with them all the time. And sure enough, by staying with his friends, the next time Jesus came, which was a week later, Thomas got to experience Jesus' resurrection life right there. And that's something I think we need to remember. It's sometimes we think about, uh, oh, that bed is so comfortable on Sunday morning, and I'd rather stay home and watch cartoons. But we might miss something really exciting that happens at church. Uh, something very special might happen. And um, we might experience Jesus' coming in some wonderful ways. So I want you to think about that. And I don't want you to be like Thomas. I want you to be with your Christian friends so you might experience Christ when he comes in his love to, to embrace us all. Okay? Let's have a prayer together. We thank you, Lord, for Thomas and his example that we see. We ask you to help us to be like he was after he missed Jesus. He stayed close to his Christian friends. And because of that, he became a believer. Help us to grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go back. Our first scripture lesson is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches of the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. 
so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 150 on page 862. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this responsive reading together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in his mighty work. Praise God for his mighty deeds. Praise God. Praise God with trumpet sound. Praise God with heart. Praise God with tambourine and dance. Praise God with strings and harp. Praise God with sounding cymbals. Praise God with loud flashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Here our epistle lesson now from Acts chapter 5, verses 18 through 32. This is exciting as anything you'll ever see on TV. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the, the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Here ends the lesson.
Let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for music and bells and poetry and other wonderful ways of expressing our faith because so often our simple words just fail us. We find ourselves questioning and wondering as Thomas did and yet at the same time curious and wondering what the future holds as the rest of the apostles must have felt at first Easter and in the days following as they processed what it must mean that Jesus is alive once again. Help us, Lord, as we have come from our various places and occupations to wrestle with that same issue of what it might mean day by day for us now to realize that Jesus is alive in our midst and that he reigns for all eternity that he paid for our sins and was raised for our justification and has granted us full pardon, forgiveness, and the assurance of eternal life for all the eons to come. Help us, Lord, as we wrestle with that and make some sense of that and find that it changes everything for us in life. We're thankful that as this reality dawns upon us, so many things fade into unimportance in our lives. And we can find ourselves proclaiming like the Apostle Paul that when compared with the glory that is ours, shared with life in Christ, all else in life is just rubbish and trash. So we go into our world, Lord, with this good news no longer seeing those things which would divide us from each other, not our geographical boundaries, not even our ideological differences, but the awareness that everyone out there is someone for whom Jesus has died, my brother and my sister. We give you thanks for this new vision that comes to us through faith in Christ. We're thankful for the hope that we have as we look down life's road and we know that life on earth will one day end for all of us. How wonderful it is to know that we will experience what Jesus experienced, that there was life beyond death, resurrection life. We're thankful for this as well. Lord, we are mindful of your children in this community who need your love and care. We are concerned about state governments that are running out of funds to pay for unemployed compensation. We are concerned about people who are unable to find the means of supporting their families. We're greatly concerned about those that find themselves without a home and without food to eat. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, as answers to people's prayers. Use us in the lives of these who need us. Cause us to be beloved brothers and sisters to all of those who are in need. For we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is John 20, verses 19 through 31. That is on page 1686, if you'd like to turn to that page. Here now, our gospel lesson. <clears throat> on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here ends the lesson. The other night at our band rehearsal, they asked me what my sermon was going to be about, and I said, civil disobedience. And they said, civil disobedience. But as you read the section, uh, the, the lesson from Acts that we read today, that certainly is what that scripture falls under that heading. I'm reminded in reading it that uh, some things happened to me back during my college days. I was at Walford during the height of the Vietnam War. And at Walford College in the late 60s and early 70s, we had one real hippie, a guy named Wade. Our sophomore year, <clears throat> Wade became a Christian hippie. Or as they were known in those days, he was a Jesus freak. He got arrested several times due to his preaching, believe it or not. On one occasion, he was preaching at a peace rally over in Gaffney. And I think he was arrested because of the very colorful way that he tried to say all have sinned and fall, and fall short of the glory of God. It was probably his use of a colloquial term that questioned the marital state of our mothers that got him in jail that time. But anyway, upon his release from jail, he went right back out to Gaffney to that same place and began preaching again. On another occasion, Wade got arrested near Aiken, Aiken for hitchhiking on the interstate. Some of us offered to drive him back down to magistrate court so that he could answer those charges and pay his fine. But he said, no, I don't need your, your help. I'll get there. And we said, how are you going to get there? And he said, oh, I'll hitchhike. <clears throat> He could not be deterred. He always said that he would rather obey God than men. Well, so I thought about Wade when I read the story about Peter and the apostles. They too were put in jail for preaching the gospel. And upon their release from prison, they went right back to their previous location and resumed what they had been doing. Preaching right where they left off. It is a very exciting story. Hear it again. They were put in jail for preaching about Jesus. During the night, they obtained release from prison through some divine intervention. 
And the angel said, now at daybreak, I want y'all to go right back to the temple and tell everybody about Jesus. That morning when the priest and the full assembly of the elders of Israel assembled to interrogate the prisoners, they were told the jail doors were locked and the guards were still on duty, but nobody's inside the jail. They're gone. Then someone else arrived with the news. Hey, you know those men that you ran out of the temple the other day and put in jail for teaching about Jesus? Well, they're back. They're back over at the temple, preaching again, if you can believe that. Upon hearing this, the captain of the temple guard went to retrieve the disciples, but he didn't dare use much force because the people might have come to the defense of the disciples. When the disciples arrived there at the assembly of the Sanhedrin, the high priest said to them, we gave you strict direct orders to stop preaching to the people about Jesus. But not only have you filled Jerusalem with your message, you're trying to make us look guilty for that man's death. Speaking for all the apostles, Peter said, we've continued to preach because we must obey God rather than you humans. And by the way, just to set the record straight, you, the religious leaders of our community, you are guilty of killing Jesus by crucifying him. But God our Father raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand as Lord and Savior so that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to all of us. We witnessed all of this, and so we know it to be the truth. The braveness and the, the bravery, rather, and the boldness of the disciples is a real testimony of their faith. And I imagine that with such divine intervention, they must have felt almost invincible in those days. The man doing all of this talking was the same man who only a few weeks earlier had cowered in the darkness, denying three times that he even knew who Jesus was. And now he's preaching fearlessly, knowing full well that he's probably headed right back to jail or something worse. Perhaps even he would be killed. Something had wrought a mighty change in Simon Peter, and that something was having found a tomb empty, and then having seen Jesus alive on many occasions in the days after that first Easter. What a testimony of Jesus' resurrection these apostles were. We celebrate their boldness and the awareness that their allegiance to God outweighed their allegiance to their country and its leaders. And we are reminded by this story that we too might occasionally be caught in the middle of competing loyalties when we are uh, called to make a decision between society and our faith. And we're reminded that we too must obey God rather than civil law. If the disciples had obeyed men instead of God, you and I might never have heard the good news about Jesus. Foreign missionaries who are today serving in countries that are hostile to Christianity have to find some sneaky ways to delicately break civil law so that they can shine the light of Christ in, in those dark places. Sometimes all they can do is teach children and love them and treat the sick and love them, hoping that their actions will speak the words that their mouths cannot say. We must follow God's laws and not civilian laws. So one lesson from this story is that when we are faithful in following God's laws instead of human rules, locked doors open for us, giving us opportunities to share our faith, and I've seen this many times in people's lives. But this incident in the early church is a part of a, of a larger philosophical category called civil disobedience. The ancient philosopher Sophocles uh, is one of the earliest philosophers to call attention to this is issue when he recorded the story about Antigone, 
who defied the Greek king's direct order when she buried her brother Polynices so that he would be eligible in their faith system to enter the afterlife. She paid for her civil disobedience with her life, but her actions brought about a change in that society. So many changes in our world would not have come about without brave practitioners of civil disobedience. When people followed divine law instead of local laws, being willing to pay the penalty for their crimes. Independence in India would not have been, been possible without the civil disobedience of Gandhi. Equality for African Americans guaranteed in the Constitution would not have ever been extended to them without the civil dis disobedience of Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and even those four North Carolina A&T freshmen who tried to eat at Spartanburg's Woolworth lunch counter back in the 60s. By the way, do you know how it is that Memorial United Methodist Church is lucky enough to have Elaine Rush in our choir and John Rush in our South Carolina conference? She's looking at me like, where's the hymn book I can throw at him? But for those that don't know the story, John's older brother Jim was serving a church in their native Mississippi just when the civil rights tensions were breaking. Many churches and pastors lined up behind the segregation laws of the Old South and were highly critical of Dr. King and others. But a group of young Methodist preachers, Jim Rush among them, wrote a letter to the local newspapers urging calm, restraint, openness, and reconciliation in this time of social upheaval. And most of those young Methodist pastors were told to leave, that there would be no appointment for them ever in the Mississippi Methodist Conference. Rather than face an uncertain future uh, without churches uh, being willing to accept them, the Rush boys bounced around other conferences for a few years. John went plumb to California to find his bride, and eventually they came back here to South Carolina to work. You see, civil, civil disobedience has its consequences. Sometimes doors are slammed in your face, as it was for those young Methodist preachers. But without such instances of civil disobedience, Peter would have had to stop preaching. India might still be a British colony, and racial inequality might still be the law of our land. Well, so far I've mentioned some positive instances of civil disobedience, but there are some negative ones as well. This last week, as I read Peter's words, we must obey God instead of men, I felt a knot in my stomach. It put fear in me. I wondered how many times have I seen that principle mis misused in our world? How many times in counseling with a Christian in trouble have I been told, I did that because God told me to? Many errors in judgment can be glossed over by that simple statement, God told me to do that. Ray Stevens in his song, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex on his television show? wondered if someday Jesus would admit that he's talked to all those preachers who say that they've been a talking to him. That's a fair question. Recently in the news, we have read about a couple that was jailed for letting their son die rather than getting him the medical attention that would have saved his life. And they did this because they were obeying God through their church's teachings rather than civil law. In another part of our country, there's a fundamentalist uh, church in Kansas that goes around picketing at the funerals of our fallen soldiers because they believe that the deaths are due to God's judgment upon America for our tolerance of same-gender relationships. Now, folks, I might as well go ahead and tell you if they ever show up here in Greer at a funeral that I'm conducting, go ahead and get your Band-Aids out and raise bail because I'm going to be hurt and in jail. Um, cannot believe that 
that that goes on. An anti-abortion radical was sentenced to life without parole for killing a doctor at his church, and he defended himself in court by saying the very words that Peter said, adding to the judge, if you were to obey the higher power of God himself, you would acquit me. Terrorists in Iraq and Afghanistan who tie bombs to themselves say that they're following God's will when they do these things. Just where do we draw the line on civil disobedience? Certainly Peter could not have had those things in mind when he gave us that principle, we must obey God and not men. So we need some guidelines, I think, to help us so that we don't do some things in the name of God that are clearly ungodly. It would seem to me that for a Christian to be involved in acts of civil disobedience, he or she must first take time to be certain that the action that they're contemplating is indeed God's will. It has to be more than simply what I think or my own individual conscience. An action should be checked and double-checked in the Bible and in the broader Christian community of faith to make sure that the action that we're contemplating is, in fact, God's will. Disobeying a law that demanded that they never, ever, at any time, ever talk about Jesus again is a no-brainer. Of course, we know that had to be challenged. Issues of fairness and justice for God's children are fairly clear to me as well. But these are issues that are vitally connected to our faith. And the, the way that people went about protesting these things were peaceful and civil as well. And that's why I called this sermon civil, civil disobedience. Certainly, the way that we act as we do these things must be appropriate. Our doctors have a philosophy of do no harm that guides them as they're healing us. This keeps them from attempting possibly heroic, but definitely risky procedures on our bodies. They promise to do us no harm. If Christians are called upon to disobey the laws of God, then we should do so in a way that does no harm to others. The whole point of civil disobedience is that a person chooses to violate a law and then is willing to take the consequences without hurting anyone else. And you do this to proclaim God's loving truth and to call attention to an unfairness, making society re-examine itself and its laws and habits. It isn't a matter of just going on strike. It's rather offering a loving challenge to a status quo. We must obey God and not men. How thankful we are to see the bravery and faith in formerly weak people like Simon Peter. And an, an encounter with the risen Lord will give a person this kind of boldness. And the actions of these disciples in the temple show us just how deeply they believed the message that they were preaching. No wonder these men and women turned the world upside down. May we so deeply believe the good news. Amen.